All right, good to, good to see you. Take a, let's take a look at uh, Daniel chapter 10, where we begin tonight. Daniel chapter 10. We may be able to get a little bit into 11. What I handed out to you is notes on 11. Uh, <clears throat> as you can probably see, it'll be pretty, that part's pretty detailed. Chapter 10 is the introduction to chapters 11 and 12. So we want to, uh, this very, very lengthy introduction, uh, chapter 10, all introducing what takes place in 11 and 12. So we will get the introduction done, maybe get a little start into 11, finish 11 up uh, next week most likely, and uh, go from there. Okay, uh, so first off, you might remember last week, if some of you probably weren't here because you're out of town, but uh, last week we concentrated primarily on chapter 9, verse 20, verses 24 through 27, which gives a very quick uh, four-verse overview of everything, of, of what was going to happen to God's people uh, the Jews, Israel, from the time of the going out to rebuild the temple, which would have been 536 B.C., all the way until the fall of Jerusalem and then the introduction to uh, the kingdom of God from that time on. Uh, and uh, that period of time, of course, going to 70 AD and beyond because he even ends chapter 9 with saying that there was a decree, a decreed end that would be poured out in the desolator, which would have been the Roman Empire desolating Jerusalem. Well, the decreed end to the Roman Empire, then that's going to be hundreds of years even following that. So, uh, obviously, one thing I didn't mention is there were 70 weeks that covers that period of time. So, a lot of people go, okay, 70 times 7, that's 490 years. Uh, that didn't fit. <laughs> yeah, so just uh, take this as, as usual in apocalyptic literature. This is figurative, figurative language. And, and we'll, we're just going to leave it at, at that for, for the time being. All right, so everything's set up with that. Now that's a, just think about that. There's four verses that cover uh, eight, 900 years, basically, and until you would consider, whenever you would consider the fall of Rome, which I think most people would consider around 476 AD, whenever you consider the fall of Rome, you, you get a thousand years here that he is summarizing in four verses. Well, then Daniel wants to know more, and there is apparently another vision given him, and he is very distraught about the vision, and he wants to know the details of the vision, and those details are going to cover from the period of time uh, from the Persian reign, a period of time of about 536 B.C. until um, the ending of the Greek Roman Empire and but a whole lot of detail. So we're going to see the detail in chapter 11. And chapter 11 is impossible to understand if you don't know anything about the history that takes place from 500 uh, B.C. until the Roman Empire. If you don't know much about that history, 
You're not going to do anything. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. 400 years of that, the Bible is silent. <laughs> so, in fact, a little more than 400 years. 400 years of that from, from uh, for about 430 B.C. until the time of Christ, God doesn't talk. There's no prophets, there's no anybody, there's no history, there's no nothing given in the Bible. So God fills in those blanks with chapter 11 and 12 of Daniel. <laughs> so the only way you know the details is by knowing history, and that's why I handed out to you what I handed out, which should give you a brief historical view of what took place in, uh, in chapter 11. All right, so let's, let's read the introduction through. There'll be some comments and, and, uh, and some uh, discussion we will have of this, some, some questions. Uh, notice then in chapter 10, 1, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. More marginal reading, it was about a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. All right, so third year of Cyrus, what year, we, what year would that be? Five thirty-six. He he comes into power five thirty-nine. Third year, five thirty-six. So this this is about the time when the decree goes out to bring Israel back. Verse 2, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz uh, around his waist. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, uh, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his word like the sound of a multitude. All right? Uh, just looking at the picture that's given of this individual that he sees, does that remind you of anything that you might read as far as a description in the New Testament? Very good. Revelation chapter 1, you have a description of Jesus. And in that description is very similar to this. Some have thought that this was maybe a pre-appearance uh, uh, of Jesus in the, in, in, on the earth or something like that. Uh, very, very unlikely since we find out that this individual has been battling the prince of the kingdom of Persia and losing. <laughs> so you would kind of think, okay, this is uh, probably not uh, Jesus. But you do see this magnificent individual that is appearing uh, to Daniel to give him an answer to, to, this, to his uh, prayers about the vision. Okay, uh, verse 7, and I, Daniel, 
uh, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So Daniel says, I saw the vision, but the other guys didn't, but they hightailed it out of there because it was so scary, whatever had happened. You remember when Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus, the others heard a voice and saw something, but not what but didn't see the Lord or hear what the words were. And, and so they were frightened as well. So very similar to that. Okay, verse 8, So I was left alone, uh, saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. So this, this appearance of this angel just totally collapses him. It, it, is, it just saps everything out of him. It is, it is such a... Uh, a, a crazy event here. Verse 9, Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. You visualize that? <laughs> you, everything, this is just... Uh, Everything affecting his mind and his body and uh, uh, the trembling that is taking place. All right. Verse 11, he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Uh, read a, a, a person this afternoon, he made comments about this uh, in regard to people who thought they had seen angels and stuff. One guy said, Yeah, I, I often, an angel comes, had came one time about the time I was shaving. And uh, the man said, Did you stop shaving? Did you tremble? Did you? No, I just uh, had a conversation with him while I was shaving. And uh, <laughs> he referenced this. I probably be surprised. <laughs> when people see angels in the Bible, what happens? Similar things to this. <laughs> when God appears in some kind of way, what happens? Similar things to this. Everybody is, starts with being fearful. And even Daniel, as, as great as Daniel is, he has the same thing. He's trembling at the presence of this great angel. Okay, and then the angel goes ahead. He says, the moment you have prayed, I was sent because of your words. But verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief prince, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you to understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Okay, stop. Observations about that little that little piece of revelation there. Three times the word understand is used. So to me that says like as a twenty percent reader, I don't have to be so scared because it can be understood. Okay. It can be understood and, and the, the angel says, I'm here. Uh, the, these, are, these are intricate apocalyptic type visions. I'm here to give you an explanation. Now, like when we get to the book of Revelation, and is here. What happens? So he sees this great vision, and yet the angel comes and just to Daniel 
and says, I'm going to give you a revelation. I'm going, to, I'm going to help you understand what this means. And then we read it. What do we get? We get to understand what it means. We didn't have to have an angel come and tell us because the angel already came and did that part and he wrote down what he read. And they see the same thing in the book of Revelation. You'll see visions and all this and then you will see explanations of the vision. So you don't have to worry about whether you're going to be lost or not. Uh, you just have to worry about whether you know enough about the rest of the Bible in order to understand the uh, explanation. And that, that's uh, going to be some of the case here. All right. Uh, um, any, any other observations here that you might see with this uh, situation with uh, the, the kings of Persia with, withholding him and withstanding him? Even though there was no response, God heard him immediately. You can speak out loud. Even though there was no immediate response, God heard him. Okay, there good. There was just a delay. All right, so there's some other reasons why you and I might pray and we're going, hello, anybody up there? <laughs> anybody uh, listening? Anybody? That? And uh, there might be a lot of reasons for that that we're not aware of. But in this particular case, there is a reason. And he had been sent. And the prince, princes of the kingdom of Persia were battling this angel and keeping him from come and coming and giving an answer uh, to Daniel. Any other observations about that? Yeah, yes. So, uh, I think we do know a little more. Anybody want to venture some explanations here? Yes, David Lee, go right ahead. Explain it to us. Well, draw. You should be able to draw a conclusion just from this text. Well, they're, they're adversaries. Okay. All right. So there's some adversaries. Who are the adversaries? <laughs> and who are they? They're not the good guys. <laughs> Well, there's a good conclusion. <laughs> Joshua. Is this supposed to be a picture of the children of God versus the children of Satan battling one another? Well, there's some battle. Uh, I would say not earthly children of God battling earthly children of men. This is an angel, and he's battling the princes of the kingdom of Persia. They're the bad guys, so you've drawn a good conclusion to that. So we have a good guy against the bad guys. Who's stronger? The bad guys are strong. This angel is three solid weeks. He can't deal with these, uh, these princes of the kingdom of Persia. And in fact, the only reason he gets loose is, is what? Yeah, he has to have Michael, one of the chief princes, has to come and deliver him from this, this situation. So you, you, have, you, you have a battle going on. Where's the battle going on now? Yeah, it's going on in the spiritual heaven in heavenly places, going on in the spiritual realm here. Okay, this is where this battle is going on. You want to confirm that? Let's confirm that. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, 
Deuteronomy chapter 32. So here, uh, when uh, in chapter 32, uh, let's start just at verse uh, 7. This is a song of Moses talking about the future, but at this particular point, reminding them of the past. He says, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples, according to the number of the sons of God. God fixed borders of nations according to the, the sons of God, which in other places, like in Job, etc., are spoken of as angels. Further confirmation. Go over to Psalm 82. Psalm 82. Very short little psalm. Jesus quotes from this psalm in John chapter 10 and verse 34 and following. Uh, God has taken his place, 82.1, God has taken his place in the divine council. What kind of council? There's a divine council here. Remember another divine council in the Bible? Job. So you have Job where he called all the sons of God. And Satan showed up in the midst of them. Remember that? Here we have another divine council. All right? In the midst of, of the gods, he holds judgment. Jesus says that these gods are angels and refers to them as those who have been given the responsibility to teach the word of God to the nations. And you can infer that from, as I said, John chapter 10, 34 and following. And now God rebukes them. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now, as I said, Jesus says that these gods were responsible of teaching the people about God. They failed, and the foundations have been shaken, and everybody, nobody has the knowledge of God. So he's rebuking them, and then says in verse 6, I said, you are gods, I've appointed you that way, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So here we have evidence also of these spiritual beings given power over nations and of influencing nations, not against individuals' will or king's will or things like that, but certainly are part of influencing these, these nations. And uh, that's basically what we're seeing here in Daniel 7. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10, says there's no such thing as idols, but there's all kinds of gods that are be behind the production of idols. And that when you go and eat meat in an idol's temple, you're worshiping a demon. The idol's nothing, but you're worshiping a demon. So there, there again is spiritual powers. We know this from, from uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12. The spiritual forces of wickedness are who we are battling against, not simply flesh and blood.
Now, if you want a whole sermon on that, uh, I have one. I'd be glad to give it at any time. There you go. <laughs> so that is a lot of detail. At any rate, that's where you are right now. Let's, uh, let's read on down to verse 21. So uh, he, he um, verse 15, he says, when I had... Excuse me, verse 14. Uh, I was left there with the kings of Persia into verse 13 and then 14. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days yet to come. All right, Daniel, you're in 536. I want to show you what's going to happen to your people in the latter days, in the days to come. I want you to notice this latter days statement. Uh, when you get to the New Testament, we notice that statement a lot. Sometimes it's just translated last days or latter days. What do we think of often when we think of last days or latter days? Something beyond our time. That's a big boo-boo. <laughs> we're, we're talking about their time. Um, listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. God, who in various times, in various ways, spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, ASV, at the end of these days, King James, New King James, etc., in, the, in these last days, has spoken to us by his Son. Last days were 2,000 years ago. Last days are referencing the last days of Israel. The last days of that nation. This is how Daniel is looking at it. These are the latter days or last days of that nation. Now we can see also latter, last days or latter days as far as we have come into a period of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 6 talks about a period of time in which we are living that is the uh, culmination of all things at the end of all things. So we are in the last times before Jesus returns also. So it's used in different ways, but from Daniel's perspective, latter days or last days, talking about the end of the period of time that lead up to 70 AD uh, with Jerusalem. Got it? Questions? All right. Okay. Uh, verse 16. Uh, 15. When he spoke in the, me these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. So Daniel is still just freaking. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is less than me. I want to have, I want, Wow, I have a conversation with you, and I'm about to pass out. This is this is beyond my strength. I can't even talk. I mean, I'm mute. I can, you can just see his frustration in the situation. So, verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of Son of Man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved. Wouldn't you love it for an angel to say to you, O man greatly loved? Whoopee. God, God greatly loves you. Uh, and, and I'm persuaded God would say that about us. All right, oh man, great love, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord strength uh, speak, for you have strengthened me. So and he says, okay, I'm ready for your sermon. Uh, uh, lay it on me. If I only had a, a little elixir like that, I'd give it to you every Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. You guys are great. You guys are good. <laughs> 
so anyway, uh, so verse 20, then he said, do you know why I am come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except these, uh, against these, except Michael, your prince. Me and Michael, we're the ones that are ready to do this. Somebody grab Revelation 12, verse 7, read it to us. So notice this right there in Revelation. He starts. There's there's a battle going on in heaven. Uh, it, where in the Bible do we learn about the beginning of the battle? At least for as our as we're yeah Genesis three right when he speaks to the serpent he says there's enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and and his offspring. There's a battle going on and uh, so Revelation 12 mentions this battle and the ultimate victory that's found of course by by Christ and then by those who follow Christ. So very cool. So here is the introduction. <laughs> How about that? 25 minutes of introduction then he hasn't even got to the to the point yet. So why uh, all of this uh, introduction? Uh, he is really preparing Daniel and the people who are going to hear this and hear the explanation here for the fact that God and is, is in a battle with the spiritual forces of wickedness. These angels are battling and the battle is being played out on earth. But as he's going to show who wins the battle. God's going to win the battle, but there's going to be a lot of turmoil. These next 500 years, 600 years up to the time of 70 AD, these next 600 years are not years you would have wanted to live in. Not a period of time you would have liked to have been alive, especially if you're living anywhere in the uh, uh, Middle East uh, at that time. Okay? And we'll see that as we go. Questions before we start chapter 11? All right. I place this now side by side on your sheet here. We will read the text and then we will see on the left hand side uh, the text, by the way, is in the net version. You will see on the left-hand side an, an hist a, a historical explanation, brief explanation. Goodness, we could go on for a very long time to talk about all the details, but a brief explanation of what was taking place that was being foretold here. All right? Remember, this is being said in 536. The, the actual historical events are going to happen after 536. So we're going to see him talking about the future for the next 600 years in a fair amount of detail. All right, verse 1, and in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood, I stood to strengthen him and to provide protection for him. There shall stand up 
excuse me, now will tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise for, for Persia. Then a fourth king will be unusually rich, more so than all who preceded him. When he has amassed power through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Okay, so... Uh, from Cyrus, you have, in addition to Cyrus, you're going to have these three kings that are, going to, that are going to come up after Cyrus. I've listed their names there, Cambyses, um, Darius uh, the first, uh, and uh, his name, Histopus, or whatever. Then Xerxes. Xerxes is the same king that reigned during the reign of Esther that we know of as Ahasuerus. All right, so he's listing these, these, uh, these, these four kings here. So notice which king of those is going to become very rich and stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. That fourth king. The king during the days of Esther. All right, so that will come into play a bit when we start Esther on Wednesday nights in, uh, in, at, the, at the first of the year. Uh, so you, you just keep, keep that in mind. All right? So he's going to stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Now, that's what Xerxes is going to do. Xerxes, his efforts in uh, Xerxes' reign from 486 to 474, something like that in that territory there. But he's going to go after Greece. He gets all haughty and everything, and he thinks he can go whack them. And he loses. Uh, and... Alexander, years and years later, remembers this, reads this up in history and decides, I'm going to get them for that. <laughs> and uh, his ancestors suffered for that. And so he, one of the things that stirs him up. So verse 3, then a powerful king will arise, exercising great authority and doing as he pleases. That would be Alexander the Great. He's going to gain power and rule uh, widely and powerfully around 334 B.C. Notice how many years we've, that have gone by very quickly. Over 100 years, 120 or so years has gone by since Xerxes uh, was, was reigning in uh, the 480s. All right, verse 3, then a powerful king will arise, exercising great authority, doing as he pleases. Shortly after this rise to power, his kingdom will be broken up and distributed toward the four winds of the sky, but not to his posterity or with the authority he exercised, for his kingdom will be uprooted and distributed to others besides these. All right, so <coughs> suddenly we remember in chapter 8, we read about the, the ram with the big horn and all of that and, and how the horn was broken and four horns came up instead. So this is referencing that. Alexander is very young, 33 years old, something like that, when he dies, uh, goes to Babylon and gets a bad fever and dies. And just after he's conquered the whole world and then leaves his... Uh, empire, <coughs> not to his children or anything like that, but to his four commanders. And that's what he's, <coughs> excuse me, that's what he's referring to here uh, that's left. And I've got that listed for you in verse 4. So at the height of his, uh, at the height of his power, he's going to lose it, 323, and his kingdom's divided not between the kin, but to Lysimachus, 
Uh, Lysimachus, his Thrace, Asia Minor, covers that. Cassander, Macedonia. Seleucus, Syrian Palestine. And Ptolemy, which is Egypt and also uh, battling for Palestine as well. Ptolemy is ruling over Palestine in the first part. So you have the Ptolemies. So Ptolemy is one of them, but there's going to be a, a line of Ptolemies that will end with a very famous woman. What? Cleopatra. Okay, she's going to be the, la the end of the line of the Ptolemies. All right, so that so you have the this line of Ptolemies, and he's rep obviously represented by uh, this, and he's going to be called here later in this text the the king the kingdom of the south of the king of the south. And it isn't going to be just one king, because there's a whole line of them, but it's going to be the king of the south and the king of the north is what we're going to see from this point on. King of the south, king of the north. King of the north is going to be Seleucus and, uh, and the Seleucids that, uh, that come from him. And there, he's going to mention a couple of kings out of that. But mainly he's going to get to Antiochus Epiphanes as the one who does most of the damage. Okay, uh, let's see. So um, verse 4, uh, we distributed it. Uh, he's distributed others. Verse 5, then the king of the south and one of his subordinates will grow strong. His subordinate, his subordinate will resist him and will rule a kingdom greater than his. Okay, so... The king of Egypt, here's Ptolemy, he reigns from 323 to 285. He'll be strong, but so will one of his generals, Seleucus I, but Ptolemy will be stronger and have the rule. So in so many words, there, there's your little history of this battle between these two great, uh, great captains. But then in verse 6, after some years have passed, they will form an alliance. Then the daughter of the king of the south, okay, daughter of Ptolemy, will come to the king of the north, okay, that would be uh, one of the Seleucid kings, come to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she will not retain her power, nor will he continue in his strength. She, together with one who brought her, who brought her, her child and her benefactor, will all be delivered over at that time. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's really cool because, of course, God, he's not giving a bunch of names here. But historically, we know the names of these individuals. So uh, the explanation here historically, it's sometime later, Berenice, uh, the daughter of Ptolemy II, will marry the Seleucid king Antiochus II, who divorced his first wife, Laodicea, but the arrangement will result in loss to all concerned in it, for Laodicea poisons the king, Berenice, and her child. Almost a little bit funny <laughs> about how that came in. But so here is this big battle, and, and you see, it, it, it sounds like, I mean, I never watched soap operas, but it kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? <laughs> These crazy things that are, t that are taking place here. Okay? Uh, so uh, you see, you see this, this going on as time goes down. Then, uh, verse 7, there will arise in his place... 
uh, one from her family line who will come against their army and will enter the stronghold of the king of the north and will move against them successfully. So, uh, in other words, a brother of hers, uh, uh, her being here, um, Laodicea, a brother of hers, Ptolemy III, gains power, attacks the Seleucid king, Seleucus II, and the son of Laodicea and is very successful gaining much territory. So what, what you try to keep in mind what's happening here. You have the king of the north and you have Egypt and what's in between? <laughs> Palestine. And they become like a political football. They have just war going on all the time between them. Battles are going on. The battle is over them and over power of the two countries, etc. So you just keep seeing this, this battle uh, that is being engaged here. All right, and then verse 8, he will also take their gods into captivity to Egypt along with their cast images and prized utensils of silver and gold. Then he will withdraw for some years from the king of the north. Uh, so what happens is, is uh, uh, this, uh, this Ptolemy then, uh, after gaining this power and winning these battles, he just returns and lives the rest of his reign in peace after grabbing all this, these goodies and things from uh, the Syrian king. Okay? Piece of cake. <laughs> Complicated piece of cake. Verse 9. Then the king of the north will advance against the empire of the king of the south, but will withdraw to his own land. His sons will wage war, mustering a large army that will advance like an overflowing river and carrying the battle all the way to the enemy's fortress. Okay, so... This Seleucid king now, the king of the north, attacks Ptolemy III. So you see, time is going by, new kings are rising and stuff, and new events are taking place. So the Seleucid king now, king of the north, attacks Ptolemy III, fails and returns to his home, but then his sons... Seleucus II had three sons who ruled, uh, Seleucus III, Antiochus II, and Seleucus IV. These three shall engage in war, and Antiochus III shall attack the king of the south. Now this Antiochus III uh, is the uh, father of the real bad guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, who will be acting Antiochus IV, and we'll come to him probably uh, next, next week. But you can see this, years and years are going by, new kings are rising, and who's battling? They can't just stop it. Do you ever think of that in our world today? Why don't you people just stop it? Why do you always have to go battle somebody and go to war? If they knew the Bible and they read this, they would see, here's, I think, main message through this. You are wasting your time. You are not going to win in the end. Only God wins. Kingdoms of men come and go. You'll have a brief glimpse. You're like a little flower that appears in the morning and is dead by evening. You're nothing. And human beings rise up and go, no, I'm going to be something, and I'm going to conquer the world, and I'm going to be the greatest ever, and you're going to be the greatest ever dead man too. That's not going to make any difference. So that, that anyway, that's, that's what you keep seeing. Verse 11, 
Then the king of the south will be enraged and will march out to fight against the king of the north, who will also muster a large army, but that army will be delivered into his hand. <laughs> okay, so the king of the south now is really mad because they, these, the northern kings have attacked him, so he, he's done him, he goes after them, and they muster this huge army, but it doesn't matter. The king of the south wins anyway, and the huge army uh, uh, gets destroyed. So uh, as we see the explanation in verse 11, the Egyptian king Ptolemy IV is going to fight against him. The battle of Raphia, uh, uh, I don't know why there, there shouldn't be two colon 17, it should be in 217, and he will be uh, victorious. So that will bring, uh, bring that, that battle to end as the, as, uh, the southern king now wins uh, this particular battle. All right? And then verse 12, when the army is taken away, the king of the south will become arrogant. He'll be responsible for the death of thousands and thousands of people, but he will not continue uh, to prevail. So there's the king of Egypt. His army is, is going to be elated and lifted up with this great success they've had at this great battle in 217 BC, but it's not going to last. Of course it's not going to last because you just had a brief victory and he's not going to continue to prevail. Then verse 13, for the king of the north will again muster an army, one larger than before. At the end of some years, he will advance with a huge army and enormous supplies. In those times, many will oppose the king of the south. Those who are violent among your own people will rise up in confirmation of the vision, but they will falter. So here is then... A Seleucid king Antiochus, in this case the third, is going to raise another army greater than the first one, and after some time he's going to attack again. And then at this time, there's going to be a number of warlike Jews who are going to ally themselves with Antiochus the third and thus help him to victory, but this shall be their own undoing, since Antiochus IV, that is Antiochus Epiphanes, his son, is going to be enabled to rule after that, and he's not going to have any mercy on any of the Jews. And he's going to destroy thousands upon thousands of Jews. Okay, you're really getting interested in this, aren't you? This is just fascinating, riveting. <laughs> if you could read a whole book on each story, it'd probably be a little more exciting. But, but you're just seeing quick snippets. And yet, look at the detail. Isn't that amazing? Here is God, hundreds of years in advance, giving detail as to battles and armies and who wins and who doesn't win and motives and uh, all types of, uh, uh, of feelings about things and what was going on in their mind. They got enraged and went after him and then that happened and he's going to raise an army and he goes after them. And it, it's, it's really crazy how God just says, well, here's all of this stuff. And yet when we get to the end, you realize he's saying over and over again, humans are wasting their energy and destroying themselves and I'm over it all, and eventually I will bring about my kingdom and my people. And in fact, through this, who is being taken care of? God's people. 
God's people, those who are faithful. He's going to make a mention here in a second of the faithfulness. There's a few faithful through this. He just mentioned some bad Jews, right, <laughs> who joined Antiochus III. But he's going to get to this, and he's going to talk about some, 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 some of the faithful who are going to still suffer because of the persecution, but at least were considered faithful. All right? Very good. Uh, you were you were amazing at knowing all this history. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we will pick up there, and the story gets more exciting as it goes on. 